Welcome back to Jokerman Podcast once more. I'm Evan. I'm Ian. And today... Today... We're joined by no one. No. Once. No one. And that's fitting, you know, because it's just us. You know, this is Jokerman self-titled. That's right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Neither one of us has kicked the other one out of the uh, program and forced our bandmates to deliver the news to him personally because we were too... Um, uh, shitty of a person to even tell it to him to his face. Who would I have fire you if? <laughs> who would uh, the liaison be? I would just tell. I would. I would have your dog, like, come up to you with like something in its mouth. Wow! And it's like, Ian, you're out. That's brutal. Carmela would never. She would never do me like that. I would continue the show, and it would just like it would go straight into the. Into the, run it into the ground. Yeah, it would just it would immediately become the Van Morrison podcast. <laughs> and I would I would just be like I'd turn one day to ask like uh, you know who when's the next uh, recording day when are we and, and, and there'd just be no one there. The answer would be blown in the wind. Um, we're talking about the Velvet Underground. The Velvet Underground by the Velvet Underground. That's it, folks. What a record, you know. Yeah. This is uh, this is the first time just you and I have gotten to talk about the Velvets because we had uh, obviously we had Michael on for the first one, we had uh, the Iron Pack for the second one, and I feel like this is this is kind of a good one to just be classy coast style because it's a kind of mellow. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I always think of this as kind of a late night, like as the sun is setting, as the yeah, sun is well, rising, that's... really, uh, kind Both. of record. Uh, and, uh, that's, uh, kind of the vibe we're going for here tonight. It is sunset. Or it's about it to be. Down um, there it is, at least. I've got a little, well. Sunset yeah. in California. What do you mean? We're both in California. Yeah, but San Francisco is, uh, the, the days are shorter when it's short and they're longer when it's long because it's further away from the equator. I think that's how it works. Hmm. I don't understand. Who can say? Uh, this record always has been a Sunrise album for me. This is, I'll just come right out and say, I'm not even going to bother dancing around, favorite Velvet's record uh, with a bullet. Um, fell in love with this in like 2012, I think, uh, when I was like a, a bright young lad of 20, uh, commuting halfway across Los Angeles from Toluca Lake to Santa Monica uh, to attend my Santa Monica Community College efforts uh, as a as a bright young scholar, driving on the 134 to the 101 to the 405 to the 10, just in gridlock traffic for like 90 minutes before the sun would even rise to get there. And I just remember like very vividly, I just even listening to this record again, coming back to it this week, like just the red brake lights of the fucking 101 to the 405 south interchange uh, just flood back into my memory as soon as, soon as I hear those first couple chords of candy says it's a very uh intense sense memory for me this one but a positive one to come back to i don't know if you have any feelings like that about this record or other records in the velvets catalog other records but not this one not this one because this is the first post john velvets record which means it's the first one i stopped paying much attention to (laughs) but um of the two post John records, this is my favorite by far. Sure. Um, because even though it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have the thing that I love the most, which is like 
all of the, you know, I, I really love all of the members of the band when they're mm-hmm. together. That's mm-hmm. sort of my favorite is when you have all of them. And then this one doesn't have all of them, but what it does have is a, it's the other side of the coin of white light, white heat, kind of. It has all the things about the Velvet Underground that really aren't dependent upon John Cale. Uh, I, at least I kind of see it that way. Right. And, it, and in that way, it is like a really fascinating record and one that I am, I really feel like I'm just, just beginning to uh, scratch the surface of in a lot of ways. Because it's the first time lately listening to it that I've spent, um, you know, it's the first time since we've really spent this much time talking about Lou and John and um, contextualizing it. And so I feel like there's a lot to glean from from it right now. The ways in which it um, sort of sets up what we'll see with Lou's solo career and Mm -hmm. and reflects things that were always there in the in the earlier Velvet Underground with John. Right. Yeah, it's a very important record. I mean, important just in the in the realm of of uh, records in general because it is such a great landmark record with so many great landmark songs. Uh, but in the in our whole kind of like angle world approach at all of this, the Lou and John rivalry and romance through the ages, particularly kind of um, impactful because. It is, like you said, this is, I mean, we can just very basically lay out the facts. Lou kicked John out of the Velvets in like like August, uh, September something, 68. Uh, he basically sat Sterling and Moe down and said it's either he goes or the band is over. Um, and Sterling and Moe, to their credit, didn't want him to go, but they also did not want the band to be over because this is what they were doing with their lives at this point. So they had to kind of give in to Lou's uh, sort of shitty move that he pulled Lou sent Sterling to go deliver the news to John uh, firsthand, uh, and John went off on his merry way, and Lou replaced him with Doug Ewell, uh, yet another Long Island expat uh, who was living in the city at the time, and um, was a very different kind of personality and a very different kind of musical approach. Um, Ewell, like, had very little familiarity with the Velvets. Apparently, he was, like, playing in another band that Lou knew the guy that was the leader of at at the moment in time, Uh, but he knew that they were kind of an up-and-coming and and exciting name, and so he was just like, sure, I'm (laughs) I'm in the Velvet Underground now, and his voice is the one that you hear uh, starting off this record for the very first time with the first song, Candy Says. Uh... He brings a little different uh, kind of energy and um, uh, a vibe and mood to the whole thing than John did. But I do think that this is like, I don't know. Part of me is always like, you know, what, what would they have done if they had continued on Lou and John together? But part of me is also like, I feel like they needed to go their separate ways at a certain point and, and kind of get the opportunity to fully control everything that they were in charge of. Maybe not in this way that Lou ended up making it happen, but like, I think in the long run, the world is richer for this having happened. Let's talk about the music. One, two, three. Candy says, I've come to hate my body and all that it requires in this world. Candy says, I'd like to know completely what others so discreetly talk about. What an opener. It's, it's a good lyrics. Incredible. I'm going to watch the bluebirds fly Over my shoulder I'm going to watch pass me takeaway that I had listening to it this this time is actually like oh my god this sounds like the strokes like this is what the strokes sound like well I mean mean, (laughs) yes that's like should be obvious everyone knows that the strokes are indebted to the Velvet Underground but it's not always that you really hear or that I've really noted like oh that exact element is what 
Julian Casablanca is like is very much doing. Right. The melodies on this song are like so that, like so right. much. And I was just like in my car, um, listening to it and uh, singing along as Julian Casablancas, just going like, <laughs> "Candy says I've come to eat my body." I could do it. La- I'll do it better later. I'm gonna do it like with an actual. Well, let's just do that's a that's a Patreon bonus content right there. We'll do the whole record. You will do in the style of Julian, just yeah, complete I was, karaoke. I actually did that. This with, is not the first time you've done this. Yeah, I think, to no. My memory. I was jamming with uh, with uh, my friend Mike and uh, in his studio, and uh, we we ended up just like getting the a very basically the same like strokes like hyper compressed vocal sound, and so uh, we were playing you. Uh, you know more than I know, but in right. the style of the Strokes, a song that doesn't uh, uh, have quite as much common DNA in the Strokes uh, catalog. I mean, you can as this do this with does. any song. You can make any song sound like the Strokes if you really want to. Dweller on the threshold, as Julian Casablancas. Okay, well, hold on. Uh, um, I'm a dweller on the threshold. No, no. Uh. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> you keep workshopping this. I'm going to watch the bluebirds fly over my shoulder. I'm going to watch them pass me by maybe when I'm older. What do you think I'd see if I could walk away from me? It's a really remarkable kind of song. First one in the discography, at least, you know, based on time, that falls into the says, what is it, quadrilogy from Lou, right? I don't even know. Candy, Stephanie, Caroline, uh... I know there's there's one beyond all that that I'm missing at least. Anyways, the you know starting that that Stephanie, uh, I said Steph. It's Stephanie, Caroline, Candy, and Lisa. Lisa, that's right. Um, starting that uh, incredible canon of songs that Lou ended up uh, pursuing, but this one I, just to me is like so human and wounded and like tender. And I think some of that has to do with Ewell's vocals, which are so, like, almost childlike, like, naive to me. I know that you are not a huge Ewell head yourself, but, I don't like, know. I'm not, like, so anti-Ewell. I, I almost, I don't think I realized for the longest time that this was Doug Ewell singing. Yeah, it, it is kind of hard to kinda, pick up on it. it. It, like, the whole song just kind of has, like, a real, like, pronounced it's very subtle so it's it, it kind of all feels quiet and muted and i i don't his voice is not particularly distinct distinct it, exactly and i think that's exactly part of it is like he was such a just like fucking guy just like a dude <laughs> and and john was so not that john had the welsh accent and the cool hair and sunglasses and he was on the fucking viola and he had the classical training and he wanted to fucking record this record with <laughs> amplifiers underwater and stuff like brian eno and roxy music it's it's the same thing there's a reason why they have like a kinship Right. They were like the hot foreign guy in the band, like this sort of exotic guy anyway. Yeah, exactly. The the kind of uh the 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 flashy, uh sparkly sex presence. Um insofar as anyone in the Velvet Underground was a uh, a sex a sex icon. Um but uh but I think Lou at this time wanted someone that would just do like follow orders, basically a hired gun. Um, and, and that was exactly what he found in Yule because I think Lou was really growing as a songwriter in this case. Like the, this is such a, I mean, obviously the songs on the first two records are so fucking brilliant. Uh, but they're, they're like, they're, they're sort of lightning in a bottle and there's something kind of primitive about them, I think. And, and the, the level of like restraint and, um, uh, um, like, like. Control, really. Control, uh, practiced kind of like vision that you get on mm-hmm. Candy Says. Craftsmanship um, that, all craftsmanship, over the record. Exa- it's just like it's a totally different fucking thing. Um, and uh, I don't know. I, I, I just it's, it's so striking that you go from I do this fucking thing all the time, the last song on the last record to the first song on this record. But like Sister Ray to Candy Says, like yeah, it, yeah. that's everything. That's, that's the entire Velvet Underground right there, those two songs. And it, you need the last one. You need Candy Says to follow Sister Ray in order to make Sister Ray as 
insane and mind-bending as it really is. I agree. I think it's a great song. It's easily my favorite uh, Says song as well. Ooh, favorite Says song. Interesting. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, I mean, it is mine, too. No I mean, besides... Caroline says. It's really an easier listen than Caroline says. Yeah. I mean, Caroline not, Still says not a very happy song, but easier to listen to. Yeah. Those do do was at the end. fucking every time chills down my spine they they were doing it today just a minute ago listening to it in my headphones the same way they did 10 years ago to me at this point it's perfect touch beautiful uh all right let's get some rock songs going What Goes On is a song that I think I was bored by in the abstract for a long time. Wow. And now I I think that I my priorities, my perspective has changed. This is one of those times when I think having spent two years doing Bob Dylan <laughs> like was beneficial to <laughs> helping me to really like appreciate the the importance of rock sounds certain rock music sounds um i don't know if you've experienced that but since we did that like there's a lot of times when i'm kind of like it's as if i'm hearing certain songs for the first time i i do think that there was an effect i mean it'd be stupid to think there wasn't of us like spending that much time just listening to bob dylan and i think (laughs) one of the effects is like i'm looking at rock music a lot more lately with kind of like this um sense of renewed wonder because as much as you listen to Dylan you could listen to him as much as we did every song you know hundreds of hours of music but nothing is going to sound like that guitar that comes in for the first time a guitar has ever sounded like that on this song at like one minute and ten seconds yeah that that uh that fucking solo from Sterling is wild it, it rocks put it uh it almost like there is sort of a kaleish it viola. sounds like Fripp. it sounds a little bit like Fripp a couple years after this yeah or totally. you know it's like proto Fripp, proto eno sound i mean it really has and you got that the organ going to guitar sound that is like kraut rocky or like it has it shreds absolutely and it but it shreds just like we were saying with candy a moment ago in this like kind of controlled and craftsman-like kind of way like we're not completely in another dimension like we are and I understand that you like that and I understand that that's brilliant but like the way that they made this record like the it feels like a really grown up kind of thing like they were really conscious about what they were trying to do Um, that's what's special about it in the same way that early that that Dylan like like blonde on blonde era Dylan is special then what year did this come out I don't know if we said 69 so it, but it was recorded in when sixty, 
I think 69. Yeah, it, it was It was like, I think I was reading it. It's like February, March 69 in Los Angeles, actually. This is a, this is a Los Angeles record, My despite God. appearances to the other, to the contrary. That's so crazy to think about. It's funny. It's uh, laid back L.A. sounds of the late 60s. <laughs> it has this thing that, you know, is remarkable for like what they're doing at this time, where in, I feel like the late 60s and the early 70s, especially, we think about music especially the late sixties, like people kind of like doing everything they can with the new tools at their disposal, just to like blow out the music with as much color and, and vibrancy as they can do it, like making it sound like tie dye. And that's like the whole sixties sound that people sort of just lump together in their minds. Right. But this is the late sixties in a way that is so much more restrained and has nothing to do with hippie. Um, really it has, nothing to do with psychedelia in, in in any sort of way that you would recognize from that uh you know kind of color by numbers version of it everyone has in their head now yeah, it just sounds like a rock record i mean it's 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 not concerned at all with breaking new ground or pissing people off or um uh or you know uh, appearing as some sort of landmark artistic statement um the way that the, the previous couple records did and and it actually is breaking new ground uh, very much so in like Lou's um world as a songwriter and his ability to kind of uh, conjure this music and this sound out of a studio uh, versus the previous, like the, the all the stuff they said about white light, white heat, like they didn't even know what they were, like the studio was falling apart. They didn't even know what they were doing. Like it sounds shitty on accident, and it sounds great like that because of what that record is. But like this, this like is yeah, this is showing his prowess, like on his own. Yeah, he's learning how to to be a band leader, make a record, write songs, and get get everyone to do what he wants to do. The, the quote, you know, there's like two pages on the recording of this record in the in the De Curtis book because like there isn't really a whole lot to say. It sounds like everyone's just like, yeah, the studio sessions were like pretty chill, pretty normal. Everything went according to plan. I guess Lou ended up remixing the record before it came out on his own and people were pissed about that, but then the the mix that we are listening to now today is like the the original mix, the one that he didn't fuck with on his own. Um, but, uh, yeah, it just seems like it kind of just came together, uh, pretty, pretty easily. And this, I mean, this song I think does kind of go like as far as rocking on this record goes, it, it kind of rocks by the end of it with the, with the organ and just that, what, what that goes insistent, on? yeah, that insistent yeah, guitar line again and again, like it's not, again, it it's rocks, not Sister but it's, Ray, but it's, it's, it's buttoned up, but it's like, uh, it, that's what it's so elegant about it. It, to me, it's just like, this is the height of elegance in rock, in rock record and right. rock record right um, totally it's so like the way it breaks ground is just uh it does break new ground sonically and um just with its sensibility but it has no it's not ostentatious about it it's just like right. very casually inventing, lunch, lunch pale music yeah but it's also just clock kind in, of clock out clocking in clocking out and by the end of the day you've basically invented modern rock music yeah, like, I think of really any of the Velvet's modern, records, modern rock. Totally, any of the Velvet's records that like are clearest in terms of influence, you know, years down the line. I think this is probably the one that is like the 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 strongest sonic touch point for bands like The Strokes, obviously, like REM, mm-hmm. like Bell and Sebastian. You know, you can find this yeah. music, this sound in a zillion different fucking directions. Um, for for one very effective reason, because it just it rocks. Like, it just works too. Yeah. it just works. It's rock music, baby. We love rock songs. Um, some kind of love. An interesting one for sure, and one Margarita and Tom, whose title, uh, or one whose lyric "Between Thought and Expression" is the title of um. A collection of Lou material. Yeah, I think one of the like uh, signature kind of Lou lines. Yeah, it's, that it is. People it's an think immortal of. Lou line. Yeah. Um, it's a record that just kind of is cool. I don't know what else to say. Yeah, this is a cool record that doesn't really. Um, it it kind of just is clearly made by a cool guy, sure. and it's not the product of someone trying to be cool, it kind of just feels like uh, he's actually pulling off sounding relaxed, even if he's not. Like, it, it really feels like it's just so effortless. 
And what a power move to have a song this like chill as the third song. It's a perfect um, third song on this on this on this record in particular, coming after the first two songs and coming before the next two songs. Like this is the perfect kind of just like, all right, I'm just gonna bop along for four minutes before we get to uh some pretty heavy duty shit. But some really great lyrics in here. Yeah. Uh, but one that I think kind of resists being discussed uh, or intellectualized very much. It's just like, you know, it's a rock song. We, <laughs> uh, we I, I feel like we have kind of gone away from our what more is there to say uh, uh, catchphrase. But a different, completely uh, <laughs> banal lazy. statement that doesn't mean anything. Spineless but this thing is, to say. This is, a, this is a what more is there to say sort of song for me. Between thought and expression. Let us now kiss the cold bread. Move it on. <laughs> I don't know just what it's all about. But put on your red pajamas and find out. We gotta do pale blue eyes. Well, if it isn't one of the best songs ever written. <laughs> Sometimes I feel so happy Sometimes I feel so sad Sometimes I feel so happy But mostly you just make me mad Baby, you just make me mad Like it, I really don't know that it gets. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that there is much. Uh, what is there to say? Um, gee, what is there to say about the song "Pale Blue Eyes" by the Velvet Underground from their self-titled album? Well, uh, uh, there is to say that this is such a like deeply uh, emotional and and um, emotive and effective a a f f you know effective uh, a song. Um, from Lou and a song that we, you and I, and listeners to the program know he's very capable of doing because we have the benefit of knowing the following fucking 50 years of his career after this, but at the time. Yeah, it's a quantum leap into exactly. the, the height of his songwriting and in a way that it can easily get lost on you if you don't really... I mean, I still don't think I really am fully appreciating to this day, like... It, it it's just really hard to actually wrap your head around how like perfect this song is and how it just comes out of nowhere it seems to it come seems, out of nowhere exactly. and we know does. now with the benefit of the the uh words and music release right this is 16 like he'd been working on this song for at least 4 years at this point cuz well, there, there's that recording with him and John and it's got a weird verse about bopping someone in the head and stuff and it's unfinished and he's kind of just laughing through it but he has worked at it and worked at it and worked at it. And I think this is the perfect example of this tendency that he has for the first fucking 10, 12 years of his career where he's just writing and rewriting and re-recording old Velvet songs, hoping to get through to this perfect kind of pure essence inside yeah. the song somewhere. And this is this is it. He's done it. This is where you start to see, like, he doesn't need John Cale. He doesn't need anyone. He, he really doesn't. He feels, yeah, it sounds like he, he's able to match these really, um, these lyrics that are really about, like, serious uh, stuff with, like, it sounds like he really lived it, is what I mean. Yes, absolutely. And, 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 uh, and confidence, mm -hmm. I think, right? Because, because so much yeah. of those first two records was this just assault on the ears and, and just, like, these insane kind of soundscapes that you as a listener in 67, 68 just never had heard before on a record. Uh, and this, like, it's all like he knows. Like, yeah, he knows. I've gotten this song to the point where it can stand up on its own. With it's just not, a it's not like money. It, 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 exactly, with Mo just on, on the tambourine, exactly. 
Like it's I'm I'm so glad that the, that this song did not appear on the first two John or first two John records mm-hmm. uh, with the Velvets. That this is just Lou completely calling the shots and knowing like exactly what he needs to put this song across to get the band to do it the right way. It's uh, I mean it's. One of his all-time greatest songs, no, no question. One of the all-time greatest songs. Yeah. I put this right up there with any fucking Bob song Same. from Blonde on Blonde, Blood, whatever your favorite, you know, Top of the Mountain record is uh, from him. You know, it's <sighs> this song kind of just appearing under the title "The Velvet Underground" as the Velvet Underground on their self-titled record, their quote-unquote debut record. <laughs> yeah, yeah, truly. In some way, it is, I guess. This this version of the Velvet. Yeah, sense. this version. It's just like, it almost makes me want to cry in that it's like someone just giving you, like letting you re- relax and sit down when you've been just like on your feet for like 15 hours. It's You just see this fully formed other side of him yeah. as an yeah. artist. I think this is like this song, this record in general, and this song in particular, you know, is that is the high point of the whole thing. Is like is Lou's like first and fullest realization of like you know uh, himself as a literary artist and a and a songwriter and a poet, basically, because you know the first couple records, obviously, the first one is he's all wrapped up in the factory scene with Andy, and they're kind of like his, they're they're sort of like Warhols, like Barbie dolls, and a certain. Uh, uh, light and they're going along with the exploding plastic inevitable second record is just this like extremely bad vibes dark fucking like murder murder record that is just like the the most offensive kind of thing they could possibly put to tape Uh, and there's so much kind of like like do 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 they really have it does does he really have it Do, do these people really care about it can they really make records and just write songs and be musicians and artists and and poets to use your favorite word um, and this record is, and this song is the the testament to like yes, with a fucking bullet, no question, in bold black ink, put it on the page. Like these, yeah. these, this band, these artists, this songwriter in particular, and vocalist Lou Reed is is the guy. He he's the real fucking deal. Yeah, um, he's not just a fad or someone that was kind of a hanger on in the scene or just uh, you know a, uh, a a passing kind of fancy the way that some of the Warhol superstars were. Like this guy. He's he's a guy that's gonna be here with us forever. Linger on your pale blue eyes. Linger on your pale blue eyes. Jesus. <laughs> We didn't even talk about what Pale Blue Eyes sounds like because obviously, I mean, you probably know. But this song, Jesus, is continuing what that uh, unexpectedly gentle sound you get on Pale Blue Eyes uh, does. You know, it's sort of, it's the whole record is so gentle. It's like that's why this was the sunrise, right? Like I needed a record when I was yeah. fucking driving and just pounding my head yeah. into the ground, furious with all this traffic. I needed something to like keep my blood pressure down, and this pairing, these these two songs, "Pale Blue Eyes" into "Jesus," were just like the closest thing to Zen I got in the whole fucking day. <laughs> that's really interesting to think of this as a sunrise record, but I feel like that's a very a beautiful way to think about it it sounds like that especially this song this song in particular, which yeah. like has this um completely sublime and uh graceful sound nobody would have expected this song
this is yeah, this is in its own way just as radical as Sister Ray. I think if you just know the Velvet Underground as the people who if put out those two first know, two records, yeah. like this is like you are gonna be, you know, just as floored as you were the first time you heard um uh Sister Ray. It's uh yeah, that just the sound of this song and, and there so it's it's Lou on I think an acoustic sterling on an electric and then Ewell on this bass and that just the way those three kind of all are doing their own thing and yet come together like like you were saying and sort of swell together with this refrain when he's literally just you know kind of bringing it all together with the fallen out of grace line like I just it's it's amazing that um that these guys are capable of this after what we already knew them to be capable of coming into this. Um, it's because it's harder to do this. I it think is. It's harder it really to, is. Yes, to quiet exactly. down and do something this restrained. And um, there's a range to it that's surprisingly gentle, uh, that's surprisingly soft. That yeah. they can they can go soft. Exactly. Yeah. It's just it's a complete confidence in in the bones of what they've got here in the songwriting, in the melodies, in the way that these musicians work together in the studio to, to put this sound across together. Like it's, it's, um, the thing about softness is, um, is something that maybe that's what makes the difference between rock and roll and rock is that rock can be soft music. Actually rock and roll is never soft music, but rock Hmm. actually can be, because it's it's taking it to there's something happening there where where they are challenging the idea that those sounds need to be played loud. It, it doesn't have that thing that Dylan was saddled with, um, you know, of taking folk music into rock music and bridging it with his lyrics. It's just a, it's really more an evolution in the the sound of the music and right. doing something that even Dylan didn't do really. Yeah, it's completely um, like there's no pose or there's no kind of theme to it, and and you get that a lot with Bob. Like it's certainly around this time, like John Wesley Harding is this kind of like there's a very heavy theme to that whole record. Nashville, obviously, theme. Self Portrait is there's a theme in that there are so many different themes. Uh, New Morning has its own kind of theme, and like this record really feels unthemed. Like there's yeah, exactly. any sort of unique no flavor theme. to it. You know, it's just yeah. it's just songs, and it all. And that, I guess, in its in its own way, is is a theme or its own kind of flavor. But like, cool it's, drink of water. Yeah, exactly. This is nice, crisp uh, 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 ice ice water for you. Um, the lyric also on this song, I just like, is you know, the song's called Jesus. He says Jesus again and again. It's not a particularly religious song. Like this is this is miles away from slow train and save. Well, it's not an evangelist song, but it right. is a, it does feel spiritual and uh it does feel religious in, or in at least a simple sense is that Yeah, I, I think spiritual is, is the better is the word more so than than religious. It's a, it's you know, a we're prayer not, of a song really. Yeah, we're not we're not really interested in litigating any sort of uh details about a particular faith or anything. You know, the the word Jesus might as well be Yahweh or, you know, mm-hmm. uh fucking uh Allah or whatever. Like it's just it's a it's a um a mantra basically. Um from a guy who is looking for something and, you know, I guess because we're in the United States and the uh, Anglo-American culture, Jesus is the word that comes to mind. But it, it, it isn't a Christian song, is, is I guess the idea that I want to put across, uh, to me at least. Help me in my weakness, cause I've fallen out of Imagine Lou ever doing Lou going yeah. evangelical. That would have been a fucking but, sight to see. Uh, you know, it does. Uh, it was like if he just went Hasidic. <laughs> if if Lou became like uh, like stopping people on the street or like, are you Jewish? Are you Jewish, <laughs> buddy? Are you Jewish? Uh, uh, and people who are, are not Jewish, just like really, he's like staring in the in their eyes, and they're like, "Yes, <laughs> good, good. Uh, we good. missed out on uh, missed out on something there. The Hasids missed out on something there. Um, um, 
right. I'm beginning to see. Uh, this is rock music. This know? is rock and roll, baby. It's Absolutely. rock song music. Ooh, baby. This song is so good uh, because again, it, there's this, there's this, this like willing stupidity to it. I think some people work very yeah. hard, but they still never get it right. Well, I'm beginning to see the light. Like we're really not. <laughs> Lou is not interested in uh, writing Lady Godiva's operation again with this kind of thing. He's just he's having a good time. He's he is proclaiming loud and clear for the world to hear for the first time that he loves rock songs. Yeah, and, and it's so um, ah, it's so fucking good. <laughs> uh, it's so fun uh, to sing along to. Great this to record. sing along to, absolutely. The harmonies are so inviting and easy to kind of fall into. Uh, in, into, I'm having fun listening to it. <laughs> I hope everyone it listening not, to us listen to it is having as much fun. It's infectious, believe me. Even if it stops with the person hearing us talk about it, <laughs> even if we can't <laughs> make you excited by talking about it, trust me that it. Uh, it's great to hear. I mean, he's doing everything, all of those tropes, all of those uh, vocal stunts and tricks. The, the Lewisms. just the opposite of what we were just talking about with pale blue eyes and jesus of oh it's not rock and roll is setting the template for modern rock music this is this is doing that too but it's actually it's it's something at the same time it's it's rock and roll played through the lens of a modern rock sound and more than any record in their discography in their catalog like i think this one sounds the most timeless like without qu- like if you told me this record came out three years ago or something like i would like th- i would buy that on this more so than i would on any of the other three it just has this um he sounds thrilled to be able to just like do a silly empty song like empty right. in a good way like empty in a spacious way that's how and i describe I think, a lot of the music on this record and sure totally and i i really do think that that john's absence right like gives lou the yeah. license yeah. to to act like this and to record a song like this because obviously we know he lou felt sort of um uh, intimidated by john and competitive with him and there was this this you know striking artistic rivalry between the two of them in this band up until this point and a song yeah. like this, like he might have, I don't want to psychoanalyze him necessarily, but like he might have felt sort of embarrassed or, or self-conscious about yeah. bringing to the band when John is, you know, off on the fucking, you know, ninth plane of, of consciousness with his thoughts. Um, uh, but with just a Duggle fucking Yule in, in here, just being like, yeah, I'm in the Velvet Underground. I love <laughs> rock songs too. <laughs> like they can just have a good time. They can hang out. Yeah, um, that's, that's such a, a great point. And I, it really is the first I mean that's that's like a beautiful idea and I think that you're right that um you do get the sense that Lou feels like free in this way that he would never admit was even a problem before necessarily right. but he was it's like this is so nice to hear um something you'll hear through the coming up in various forms through the rest of Lou Reed's career where he'll get more or f- closer or further away from being in touch with it. Mm-hmm. But I think he ends up really, it becomes like the defining thing of his solo work is this um, embrace, like wholehearted embrace of, of this type of music. Yeah. Un, unburdened by the, um, by a conscious effort to be artistic, mm-hmm. but just because of who he is and his adventurous spirit and the fact that he's gone to those edges with John or without, there've been various points where he does that. Right. Yeah. He's earned, he's earned, uh, you know, through all of his, his 
most insane, you know, um, out there kind of moments. He's earned the right and the ability to just have sort of have a laugh with a song, like beginning to see the light. It's an it's an artistic choice to be inartistic in a sense. Um, and I, I you see a ton of mm-hmm. DNA from this record, I think, yeah, in totally. like Rock and Roll Heart, for instance, which we just talked yes, about, or like yeah. the Bells, which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, like or <laughs> with a uh, Street Hassle, where it actually kind of like. With all of Street Hassle besides Street Hassle, the song. <laughs> Street Hassle is something where, you know, those, we'll get into it on that, but this thing that becomes so complicated, that thing of the tension in Lou Reed of going toward the artistic edge and embracing and, and clinging sometimes to what he loves and is familiar to him, sometimes it creates like some really turbulent like pressure systems that just kind of whip the, his work into like some really extreme places right um like with street hassle but right here and no better example than like i'm set free like just to talk about being free. what we we're talking about yeah it's it i'm set it, free from that bitch john kale <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> that would be reductive, but uh, I think it's it's no it's no coincidence probably that he's writing a song here at a time when it seems just like he feels um, like he's on top of the ball or he's got solid ground under him as as an artist. This is as clear. I mean, if you want to locate some of these lyrics in his own personal experiences, which is valid to some degree, because obviously Candy says is about Candy Darling. Pale Blue Eyes is about the girl that he fell in love with at Syracuse, who had uh, married someone by this time. They didn't cheat, like they men- like he mentions in that song that she never slept with him or anything. But, anyways, you know, a lot of these songs do come from Lou's actual life. I, you know, I don't, I don't think there's any any reason to to not see this song as his own expression of what he was feeling as a musician and, and an artist at this time. I've been set free and I've been bound to the memories of yesterday's clouds. I've been set free and I've been bound and now I'm set free. I'm set free. I'm set free to find a new illusion. Um, another kind of great line like uh, between thought and expression, not as essential necessarily, but I, I've always loved that idea. I'm set free to find a new illusion. That goes right down to the the idea of it being sort of modern and in, in its sensibility also, where it, he's kind of doing a really simple lyric, but even that lyric has something that kind of hints at a self-awareness um, Totally. Yeah, there's there's it's a very kind of placid, basic kind of line. And yet there is there's a vagueness to it. There's a mystery to it, I think. Um, The same way that like on beginning to see the light, which I don't want to like completely discredit as some like, you know, dumbass tossed off sort of thing. I met myself in a dream. Uh, and I just want to tell you everything was all right. Like that's a fascinating. Kind that's of an concept. amazing line. Yeah. Yeah. And this he, one, he's had that line, that thing he said about the Ramones, like that they're their own dream. Right. This is beginning to see the light, and I'm set free. Feel like that for Lou. It feels like he's. It's Lou upon Lou. It's Lou all the way down. It's like there's nothing but Lou. It's it's just a mirror, a hall of mirrors. Pure of uncut Lou, Reeds, Lou, baby. Just being like. Well, Lou is certainly not uncut. Uh, <laughs> I guess that's a good point. <laughs> uh, it took me a second there. Um, that's the story of my life. The, well, it, real quick, just the sound. Because <laughs> I don't want to discredit the band. The oh, sound well, the, on the I'm sound of the free, guitar that comes. That in, guitar yeah. solo and just and the, I think this is Mo. Well, I mean, obviously, uh, after hours mm-hmm. is Mo's you know spotlight on this record. But if there's a if there's a percussive spotlight for Mo. Just her fucking just banging and banging and banging behind that Sterling guitar solo that kind of takes you through the...
it's it's very emotional to me. I I I I, I feel I feel something physically when I get to that part of this song, um, and I think it, it suits the lyric and the spirit of this record um, perfectly. The Velvet Underground, not just Lou Reed, also Sterling Morrison, also Mo Tucker, also very good musicians. Yes. Uh, that's the story of my life. Two-minute you know, song, you know. Lou's having, he's having fun here. <laughs> uh, this is a kind of one of, uh, one of those nursery whatever. rhyme kind of songs yeah. that he does. Um, you know, this it's 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 not that different than After Hours. The, the, only, the, oh, the main difference, on. well, but the main difference is who fucking sings the song. Like uh, he, the main difference is that After Hours is one of the best songs ever written. Well, it, but it it comes from the same kind of place. A little bit. Um, I mean, it it you'll see that pop up again in Andy's chest or in. Uh, New York telephone conversation. It's kind of this like, uh, uh, it's like razzle dazzle sort of like <laughs> aspect of him. This show tune really sort of quality that he has sometimes. Yeah, there's almost kind of a vaudevillian aspect. To yeah, it. Like, totally. Uh, it's it's deliberately kind yeah, of. Da, 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 yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, my baby. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's sort of the Michigan J Frog <laughs> aspect of Lou Reed that does oh, yeah. exist. You know. I'm, now I'm just picturing completely nude Lou on stage with a top hat and a bow Michigan, tie. Doing Michigan Lou Reed. <laughs> Michigan J. Reed. Well, you know, the, the cover of, of Coney Island Baby. Hello, yeah, Coney exactly. Island He's Baby. Up. He's like dressed like Michigan J. Frog. <laughs> Coney Island Baby, Coney Island Honey, Coney uh. Island Ragtime Gal. It's always been there. It's there. Absolutely. Um, um, what do you think of the murder mystery? Oh, are, are we just moving on ahead? Yeah, I guess we covered the story. Yeah. <laughs> what do I think of the murder mystery? This is one on the record it's, that if you read, uh, you know, if you read a little bit of the criticism, this is this is the song that gets catches the flag on this. Exactly. Um, you know, I it's what nine minutes long. Nine minutes. <laughs> I um, I was listening to the record yesterday. While I was driving. No, I'm not mad about this song. Actually. No, absolutely, exactly. Um, totally and not. I, I think that to give to be upset about this song. It's kind of more like to be mad about versions of this type of thing that suck that also exist. But this one doesn't suck. You no, know, the, the you know what I'm talking about, though, that like that like early 60s kind of like. Look what we can do now. We can put like uh, two things on top of each other and kind of like doing like the snorkel dance move and like right. kind of like being like. Whoa! For the first time, people being like, "That's fucking trippy, man!" Right? Like right. that's groovy. Yeah. If there's anything on this record that sounds, you know, dated to the extent that this even does, it's this song, which which does have this very kind of like, uh, you know, spacey post sixties, yeah. late sixties kind of like we're we're tripping you out man we're we're trying to we're trying to freak you out we're trying to to open your eyes and uh give you an experience that you've never had before <laughs> it's, it's cute here clearly Come on, because it's, cute. it's cute exactly it's here clearly because I, I think lou does feel you know on the on the lou reed show basically which is what this record is in large part like he still needs to live up to this you know kind of uh expectation of of listeners at the time that you know there's got to be something out <laughs> yeah, there's, there's got to be something, something kind of crazy, crazy. <laughs> yeah jinx and, <laughs> and so this is what it is well it's uh, funny it's it says so much about like the place they're at with this record, which we should talk about the cover where he's 
He's wearing a sweater. <laughs> Swe- yeah, just like a pullover sweater and a and a and a fucking like uh, collared shirt that's like uh, got wide ass lapels. I, honestly, I love the cover of this record. I, I love the cover too. It's it's a it's Billy great. Uh, Billy name photograph of them at the factory. Apparently, it's so cute uh, and it's kind of adorable that the the way that they look on here is like it just perfectly. It's to me it's way more charming than what you get on like loaded where they're like this song here murder mystery the murder mystery I feel like this has more in common with what's on loaded than anything else on the record mm. and that's what I kind of resent about loaded is yeah. that like there's this I mean you know I'm right it's like I don't a, I mean loaded you know is I'm a bunch right of a little bit. loaded like, is it's loaded with hits baby it's pop sure, songs like this yeah. is not this is not pop music yeah not, but this is not meant to be a toe tapper no but you know what I mean I th- all right let me tell you what I mean I don't know don't. tell me what you mean <laughs> like the way that this song is kind of like like you could ream it for being like kind of psychedelic in a kind of banal way that's just like we got to do something trippy, man. Like they're going to think that we're not hip. We're like, we're not like we don't turn on or whatever. Right. Like, uh, that's what this song has. If you kind of want to be mad at it. Um, and that I think, attitude, I think is, your opinion on loaded is like extremely based on like the, <laughs> like the what pictures the, of them wearing tie dye well, or like flower, that, floral that fruits. and like the, the like 15 second intro to sweet Jane, basically. <laughs> Um, yes, I mean, but <laughs> we'll that's, get there. that's, that's part of it. Um, but you know, it's also got like lonesome cowboy bill and like, whatever we'll get to loaded when we get to loaded continue with the murder mystery. Well, I will just say that I think that it represents this kind of, um, beginning to lean into, um, a, a, a thing of like, I, we want to be contemporary and the thing that's so special about this record to me is that they is is every time until this point when they sound contemporary they sound contemporary in that totally like flavorless way which is actually right. amazing because it's not colored by any sort of like 60s or 70s feeling you don't really see where the 60s uh, like flower power thing comes in you know that they're the opposite of like a kind of hippie vibe at all and and yet it's sort of like has this trippiness which is more based in like trying to be like literarily trippy yeah yeah uh i mean this again i think is like is lou really trying to like prove himself and and illustrate that there's more than just rock songs to this record and it, <laughs> yeah. especially if you hear this song if you listen to the song like with headphones on like the way that the guitar kind of like pans from the left channel to the right channel and obviously you've got the two voices one in left channel one in the right channel like it's a very kind of studio sounding song mm-hmm. um and uh and see it's the first a, time that he's giving in to the temptation of be like swag in the studio right yeah and it's it's sort of that's and, my and, problem and with it okay and there's that's something charming what it is. like like you know it's not it's not the song that i'm going to put on when i want to listen to a velvet underground song uh you know uh to to have a good time but there's there's something you know i i i i see what he was going for here and i admire the the willingness to go for it as well as you know kind of the uh uh human uh, uh quality that this lends to this record uh in that he doesn't quite get there i think yeah yeah totally that said the thing that i have an issue with i think with this is that you get this feeling like this is him testing the waters of like hmm what if i just kind of like called the shots in the studio and made some things that were like interesting just because of how they sounded. Right. And he gets really caught up in that. And we know Lou was a technophile and like kind of obsessed with the new and the, what was possible. Certainly much more so than Bob. And I think it's not one of his strongest qualities. No. <laughs> and I think that it's like the the weakest moments of Lou Reed's career. We'll see, we'll see this very clearly in the, yeah, in the mistrial era. <laughs> 
that these moments suffer because of that. And, um, you know, look, we'll get into Lulu and like, I love Lulu and Lulu. There's a very strong case to be made for it being great, but there's a decision that happened to have a certain band be the band that, you know, is arguably there's certain attitudes that come out of this kind of, it's the least sophisticated thing that Lou Reed does is decide I'm going to use this new tool. Anyway, not to go too long. Well, it makes sense to go long in this fucking long song, but yeah, that's, that's kind of it's my, fun. it's, my it's, thing a, it's a nice little note here at the end, especially sandwiched between the two songs that, you know, it is sandwiched between, I think uh, it's, it's, it's no, the gift, it's no lady Godiva. It's no sister Ray. Story it's of no, my life and murder mystery weakest songs on the record probably but yeah but you know necessary, you gotta but you gotta have you gotta have some weaker songs on the record uh and you gotta you gotta fill some time uh and you got to provide a a very discordant sort of unpleasant difficult it's note true. to contrast against the way this record ends one two three after hours is my favorite song of all time it's a perfect note to end a perfect record as far as i'm concerned and you get this sense of the Velvets as a band, I think, really, for the first time. Um, uh, and, and really Lou and Mo and Sterling and Doug, uh, because the record starts with Doug, the record ends with, with Mo, and obviously comes after Murder Mystery, where all four are on these vocals. Like, it, it really does feel like a the most kind of collaborative, I think, uh, band-focused yeah. effort that you ever get. Because, yeah, by the time he gets loaded, Mo's out of the band, and Lou is just doing everything on his own, basically. Yeah. Um, it's... Uh, I think it's it's like, yeah, the perfect perfect way to end this song or excuse me this record. She was so scared to record this vocal apparently that um, she like, yeah she sent everyone out of the studio except everyone Lou. except Lou and that's like that says everything you need to know about what's the real what's the Velvet Underground really about? It's like about these like people who have this this bond that's so close that Mo who's terrified of singing is. Even in a studio. <laughs> yeah, she'll sing if Lou's in the room. And it's like, oh, this isn't really about making money. This is not about like being uh, successful as a band. This is really a band that was always about these individuals and their relationship. And it only ever worked because those things come together and go apart at various points. But... um Mo and Lou never uh, had a, any problems, as far as I know. They they were the best of friends and have nothing but good things to say about each other that I've ever read. And this was a song Lou wrote initially for himself to sing, but uh, then just thought, oh, well, they won't believe it if I do it, in his own words. So we'll have Mo do it. And... Um, He's and right. It was the perfect choice. Yeah, yeah. This, this song would not work up like at all as well, nearly as well as it does with Mo on the vocal. If Lou himself had sung it, it shows that he understands that these songs are bigger than him. Right, he's he starting to write he, songs that aren't about him. He's the songwriter. He's the 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 melodicist, and he's like the conductor of the Velvet Underground here. Really, like he is pulling all the strings here. Um, and uh, and I think it really like when it fucking works, it fucking works. And this is the perfect example of it fucking working. I've been so like like just endlessly charmed with Moe's Long Island accent. Oh, listening know, back to this, I like I, I've never so picked up much. on that oh, in, the, in never, the past but, uh, that's as much. Cuss, uh, but. Uh, so good, shiny Cadillac cause. Uh, it's it's, it's so. It makes me melt into a puddle. It's beautiful. As it's so beautiful. Emotionally uh, affecting as pale blue eyes is, you know, as this moment of like, oh my god, I didn't know I was allowed to just like feel soft, relaxed, loving feelings from this band. This, the way that it ends with after hours is like. I just think it's like one of the fucking triumphs of all time of art. It's like, it's just like a shooting star. It's like the fucking best thing ever. This is the same band that made Sister Ray. Uh, that's what ended the last record that they put out. And exactly. this is what ends the other one. And in between those two things, it's like, 
They can do anything. Anything, exactly. We're not just the hair. We're not just the band that sings about drugs. We're not just the band that Andy Warhol found. We're not just the band that does twenty-minute fucking guitar feedback, ear melting songs. We're also we're, we also do all of this other shit. They had to do those things because that was the be- you know you have to bust the door down. But by their third record, and only their by their third record they're already confident and comfortable enough to show that like, this isn't about being edgy. This isn't about being hardcore and grotesque. This is about showing that rock music can go anywhere. Three stars. (laughs) Yeah. Three stars. No question. One, two, three. If you close the door, the night could last forever. Leave the sun shine out. And say hello to never All the people are dancing and they're having such fun I wish it could happen to me But if you close the door I'd never have to see the day again If you close the door The night could last forever Leave the wine glass out and drink a toast to never oh someday I know someone will look into my eyes and say hello you're my very special one but if you close the door I'd never have to see the day again Dog party bars, shiny Cadillac cars, and the people on subways and trains. Looking gray in the rain as they stand us arrayed. All but people look well in the dark. And if you close the door, the night could last forever. Leave the sun shine out. And say hello to never All the people are dancing and they're having such fun I wish it could happen to me Cause if you close the door I'd never have to see the day again I'd never have to see the day again Once more I'd never have to see the day again